Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mullis Big Podcast. Today you're joined by me, Robert Templeton, the Marketing Assistant, Mansrul Islam, who's the Head of Wills and Probate, and Trudy Bates, who is an Associate. So, why do I need a will? So, you need a will, so when, we, when someone passes away, you know that your assets are going to be left to people who you wish to benefit, and you state who you want to those people to benefit under your will so it could be friends it could be family it could be anybody that you wish to intend to benefit yeah and i think it's important because if you don't have a will then the essentially the law decides what happens to your wealth so as trudy mentioned with a will you get to choose so if you had a a particular charity which is close to your heart i mean being where we are in havering i know a lot of people are um really take um, uh, fond, fondness of St. Francis Hospice, for example, just one charity as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, without a will, you wouldn't be able to leave something to your favourite charity, for example. So, yeah, it's important. And also, actually, charity, um, speaking of that, you you, um, you do a lot of wills for parents who want to name guardians. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So there's, there's loads of different things that you can do in a will. Um, so you can have, you know, guardians in your will. So if you died and your children are still minors, then obviously someone needs to look after the children um, as well. So there's different things you can put in a will, but also the reason why we have a will is so that we don't want the intestacy rules to take over. So the intestacy rules state, if we didn't have a will, who would benefit under that will? So by doing a will, you're telling your executors who you'd like to benefit from your estate rather than the intestacy rules taken over, which will mean that your assets will go down your blood line. Okay, great. Can you elaborate then on what a will beneficiary means? So a beneficiary in your will is someone that will benefit from your will. So i.e. you could leave money to someone, so you can leave a, a nominal amount to someone, thousand, two thousand, ten thousand. Um, and also you have a residuary estate, which means that you know, a percentage of that of your whole estate would go to a beneficiary. So it's people that you benefit in your will to receive assets from your estate. Great. What are mirror wills then? So mirror wills are wills made by spouses, normally spouses. However, if you're partners and you haven't got married, you can also do mirrored wills as well. So mirrored wills basically say you have a will husband and wife and you say exactly the same thing in your wills. Great. Can you elaborate then what does power of attorney mean? So power of attorney is completely separate from wills. So your wills are when you've died and then it deals with your estate that way. Lasting power of attorney is whilst you are alive and if you cannot deal with your assets, your money, then you can prepare a lasting power of attorney to enable your attorneys to act on your behalf should you be unable to deal with your assets. So this can be also when you have capacity and also when you lack capacity. Yeah, that's a good point actually that you raised, Trudy, because people think of, oh, I need a power of attorney um, if I become unwell, but let's just say you win the lottery, Trudy, and you decide to go on a round-the-world cruise and you, you want, wanted me to look after things and make sure like your bills get paid whilst you're away. I could do that, couldn't I, under a power of attorney? Yeah, absolutely. So um, a power of attorney doesn't state that you have to lose capacity in order for someone to 
help you with your finances. Whilst you have capacity, you can tell your attorneys what you would like them to do. So we do have many clients that, you know, half the year they do live abroad. So, and they've got a property here. So if something happened with the property, you had, um, I don't know, a water leak, for example, yeah. um, and your attorneys need to speak to the utility companies, then the lasting power of attorney gives the attorney's authority to speak on your behalf, should you be unable to do that at that time. That's a good example, actually, because I know even from at home, my wife can't even change the uh, Sky channel packages without uh, <laughs> my authority. So, uh, yeah, uh, companies do That's take as well as data protection seriously, don't they? So they will um, re normally refuse to deal with somebody other than the individual concern. So if I've got uh, an account with the gas board, they would only speak to me or yeah. the bank or whatever it might be. So, yeah, they can be really useful. Um, but it's also important to do early because if you want to do it for planning for in the eventuality you do become unwell you can't do it when you are already unwell or you've lost capacity so yeah so you can not only um sign a lasting power of attorney if you have capacity if you don't have capacity then you can't prepare a lasting power of attorney cool thank you for explaining that then i've heard there are different types of lpas yeah, so there's two types of lasting powers of attorney. We've got property and financial affairs, which deals with your property and your money. And we have health and welfare, will deal with your care. If you do not have the capacity to make decisions about your um, health situations in, whether you're in a care home and or hospital, and your attorneys can make decisions about your life-sustaining treatments. So under health and welfare then, what other things your attorneys attorneys responsible for if anything so they could so the attorneys can only use the health and welfare once the donor has lost the full mental capacity so it things like if you were in hospital and you're unconscious and you needed an operation then the attorneys can make those decisions for you um, or if you are in a care home and um, there was a problem in the care home the donor wasn't getting on with staff or anything like that then the attorneys can look to seek alternative accommodation for the donor as well. Oh, that's interesting so with a health and welfare power of attorney you can actually have a say in how your loved one where they actually go and what care they receive. Absolutely yeah um, there's, there's also different things to that as well so if um, if the donor was happy being at the care home but there was a, another problem there then it gives the authority for the attorneys to sort out that problem whilst in care as well so it's all it's under the the care of a care home or doctors as well great what about under property and financial affairs then does anything change there so with the property and financial affairs the donor can have capacity for their attorneys to act for them. So, for instance, like we discussed earlier, so if um, our client was not able to physically go out to get money out of their bank account, then the attorneys can go and go to the bank, withdraw money, give it to the donor with the donor's authority. But on the flip side of that, when the donor has lost capacity, then um, the Donor, the attorney can take everything away from the donor and deal with everything that they would deal do with on a daily basis. I think that's actually two good examples because, again, going back to what you were saying earlier, 
it's not just for people who've lost capacity because we see lots of uh, patients and clients who are um, um, have full capacity but they might be immobile or they just struggle or they just might not be comfortable with um, internet banking things and they like having help somebody to can go to the bank for them help them with their payments uh, and, and finances and as well it's if you know the donors are hard of hearing yes, and they need to yep. speak on the telephone that's not always easy for our clients no. as well so the donor may have capacity but physically unable to do yeah. something therefore the attorneys could then you know phone the utility companies or pension service I think that's another good example yeah DWP. it's really good with people, for people with just general disabilities yeah. who might need any assistance it's that extra level of support I guess to make yeah. hopefully make their lives that bit easier and their fears easier to manage but as well as the traditional just losing capacity great thank you where should I store my will documents then you need to store them somewhere waterproof and fireproof if you prepare a will with solicitors then often enough they will have a free storage system that you could store your wills with them and um, with us we do offer that um, service so we can keep your will for as long as you wish free of charge um, and when you if you wanted to change it then you can always come back to us we've got your will here so I think it is um, something that people overlook because um, it is risky um, or I think a greater risk just taking your will home and leaving it in a sock drawer <laughs> um, you know you, let's just say you moved or as, as Trudy mentioned what if there was a flood or a fire now that could happen anywhere it could happen in an office it could happen in a home uh, generally offices tend to be lower fire risks uh, but if you do use um, a professional to draft it I would actually say don't be shy to ask them how and where they store it because you know I'm saying uh, I don't encourage people to put it in their own sock drawer but you don't want your will writer to just put it in a <laughs> in a on a shelf either so um uh, as Trudy said, we've got a kind of a concrete clad room which has no heating in it, so it's not terribly nice for us when we've got to go and fetch them in the winter. <laughs> but there's no heating source deliberately, so there's no um, um, source for a fire. Yeah. There's no uh, water pipes there, so again, it, there's no um, uh, low risk of flooding or fire. So the um, main thing is just to make sure it's somewhere safe. If you've got those facilities in your home, for example, if you had a fireproof safe, then in theory, I suppose there's nothing wrong with that. But it's... Um, uh, but again, that problem uh, which may arise from there is that if then you were to pass away and it's in a locked fireproof safe, how would your loved ones get access to it if they don't know the code? So again, I would personally lean towards, um, I think always get your will professionally drafted because of the many benefits. And then when you do that, find someone who will store it for you safely and for free. Generally, I think that's um, probably the most um, uh, appropriate way to store your will and safety as well yeah cool thank you inheritance tax then we hear a lot about it but what is it that is a very good question rob um the short answer is that inheritance tax is complicated so don't worry um if you don't understand it uh the first suggestion would nearly always be if you're not sure get advice but just trying to give you a bit of an overview um the obviously our economic uh, system the country can't function without money uh, being collected in taxes or generated for the government to spend and all of the things that we use every day our schools our hospitals our roads um, uh, um, everything that we kind of um, 
know about our daily lives. So inherited tax is just another type of tax that is uh, on death. It's not for everybody, so not everybody has to pay inheritance tax. In fact, most people don't need to pay inheritance tax when they pass away. But you should be aware just that in the same way that if you are earning an income, so money, for example, from a job, then that there is the prospect of potentially having to pay income tax on your earnings. Uh, likewise, when you pass away, if you have a certain amount of wealth, there is the potential to pay tax when you pass away. Can you avoid paying inheritance tax? Um, Get that passed a lot. Well, <laughs> yes, I thought that might be a popular one. <laughs> yeah, Trudy's hit the nail on the head. That's a very popular question. Um, and I think it links back to what I was saying before, because people, I think, are unnecessarily worried sometimes, um, because the reality is most people don't have to pay inheritance tax. Um, although this is where I think finding the right professional can be worth their weight in gold. Because if you go to somebody who is properly trained and qualified, they can help you to um, uh, reduce or avoid completely your inheritance tax. Because a lot of the time, when I say that most people don't need to pay inheritance tax, that's often because certain rules can be applied to them to avoid the inheritance tax. And um, if you're trying to do it yourself, you might not know that. So I'll give you an example. Everybody gets an allowance of £325,000. So when I pass away, if everything that I owned, minus my debts, comes up to, let's just say, £300,000, I know that my estate will not have to pay any tax because I'm below that magic threshold of £325,000. Um, however, um, whilst it is correct that anything over £325,000 is taxed, now I should mention that the rate of tax is really high actually, it's one of the highest rates, it's 40%, so almost half of everything over that threshold of £325,000 would go to the taxman. But it is possible to, um, with the right, applying the right rules and reliefs, so you can apply to the taxman for an exemption, uh, you can get sometimes a million pounds tax-free, or sometimes you can get everything tax-free. So that's why it's important to go to somebody who knows the rules, um, and I'll give you uh, an example of when you can have everything tax-free. If I left everything in my will to my wife, I'm married, but if I left everything to her in my will, there would be no tax to pay. And going back to the point that Trudy was mentioning earlier, if I didn't have a will, um, everything I have does not automatically go to my wife. And so actually I might end up paying tax um, by not having a will. Uh, so it's, I, I would again recommend going to an expert. So if someone like Trudy was preparing your will, she would also tell you about what inheritance tax is and what you might have to pay if you were to pass away and the different, different things you could do to avoid or reduce it. So the short the conclusion is, yes, there are things that you can do to avoid paying inheritance tax, but because like all laws and all tax laws, it is quite wide-reaching and complex, I would say get expert advice. Great, thank you, Mandrill, for explaining that. Can a child inherit then? Oh, do you want to start on that one, Trudy? Yeah, so this is another question that we get asked a lot. You know, people of all ages prepare wills. You don't have to be elderly to prepare a will. Everybody has assets, so they need to make sure that their assets are passed to appropriate people. Now, as far as children are concerned, you, in your will, you can leave money or your estate to a minor. However, 
on the date of your death, if that minor is still a minor, i.e. under the age of 18, they cannot legally inherit until they attain the legal age of 18. However, in your will, you can specify what age you would like that child to inherit. So it might be 18, it might be 21, when they're a little bit older, a little bit wiser, or it could even be 25, if at that time you feel, you know, you want to leave it a little bit longer so that you know that they're completely mature before they Some inherit. parents like to wait for their children Absolutely, to graduate yeah. or something. When, yeah. your when your child is two, three, you don't know how they're going to progress yeah. you know children go in all different directions um so legally they cannot inherit money until they attain a specified age in your will so if you if you die and the child is a minor your executors will become the trustees so the trustees would look after the money for that child i.e put it in a, a trust account until that child attains the age that is specified in your will. So then on their 18th birthday, 21st birthday, 25th birthday, then they would be entitled to their money then. I think that's an important um, point to make really because, so you can leave the money for your child, but as you expect, um, I mean, I'll take my youngest child, he's five. Um, uh, if God forbid anything were to happen to me today, but I'd let, um, made a will leaving money for him because I want to make sure he's looked after. Obviously, a five-year-old um, cannot is not responsible with money. He would probably use it as a, a drawing paper and come in and felt it. Must uh, someone go and buy construction toys? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly, or, or, or games on the apps on his uh, uh, device. So um, it's it's not that the money. So it's still fine for me to leave. Uh, remember me in my will but it's just that, that he's not going to be given the responsibility of of um controlling the money it will be uh left to those people i name in my will as looking after the money for my son so he will still get the full benefit um but with that kind of safeguarding so it's again that's why uh, wills are so good because you can do that you can say i want my young child to be looked after and here is some money for them please use it so that whatever they might need whether that's you know school uniforms mm. trips whether that's um private health chip yeah. treatment, whatever it might be so it's this they're so useful wills and that's under the discretion of the trustees as well so yeah. the trustees will hold that money for that child so if they're still a minor but they need money for a first car then it would be up to the trustees as to whether they would release they that can money make sure that they don't it. give it for the ferrari and then <laughs> yeah. yeah so it's making, touch, making yeah. sure yes. that someone is looking over the money and making sure that it's used wisely and as well you know when i when i said if you've got a young child and you, and you know you do a will at that time and they're two and you don't know what they're going to be like even when that child gets to 16 and you still haven't changed a will, you can change your will at any given time as long as you have capacity in order to do so. So when we get to that timeline and we think, well, my child's now 16, if anything happens to me now and they attain the age of 18, I know that they're going to be responsible enough to deal with their money. Or you could have the adverse effect of that and say, well, actually, I did say 18, they're physically not ready, I now want to push that back to 21. Then you can change your will at that time as well. So it's just being mindful of your situation and how you think what age your child should inherit. Cool, thank you both for explaining that. I know we've already touched on this briefly though, but do you have to have a solicitor to draw up your will? Um, the answer is no. Anybody 
can write a will. Um, you can get homemade wills that people do. Um, yeah, there, there aren't very many requirements for a legal will. No. It just well, it's got to be in writing. It, yeah, it has um, to be in writing. It has to um, be, be witnessed. witnessed. It has to be signed, obviously. Um, you have to get two independent witnesses, and also it has to be dated. That's the most important. Dated. <laughs> yes. so, so long as um, you've got capacity and you meet those ingredients, yeah, yeah. you've got a will. Yeah. Right. But, but, however, on that side of it, I do see a lot of homemade but. wills that are not that great. <laughs> so um, you need to think outside the box as well. So when you do a will, you won't necessarily you know what you want to do whereas if you go and see a solicitor to prepare your will the solicitor might say other things like for example okay you want to leave everything to one child but how about if that child should predecease no one really thinks about that so and that's a really important question that we have to ask our clients because if we leave one person in our will and that person should predecease and there's no further provisions after that then your will might not be valid in the fact that you've got no further beneficiaries therefore your will has failed so then your estate will go in accordance with the intestacy rules but that's not what we want to happen because we've already done a will yeah. so we need to lay mm -hmm. out various things in there so if you do a will yourself you won't necessarily know those legalities that can go in your will and save you the trouble of you know going going basically that will be non void You've hit the nail on the head there, Trudy, because it's it's all about value. I mean, if you're in a situation where you've got wealth, which you want to protect, and therefore you want a will, um, why would you risk? So even somebody with you know really modest means, uh, because we see it quite often, mm -hmm. um, uh, perhaps a, a modest couple, they, they've never had a lot of money, they've worked all their lives, but they've paid off their mortgage through years and decades of hard work, but all they've got to show for it at the end is maybe a small amount of savings. Let's just say they've only got £20,000 in the bank and a house. But because of house price prices rising in the last uh, you know, 50, 60 years, what they bought for £50,000 is now worth a million. Actually, we've got a case where that happened. A house which was worth £60,000 uh, went on to sell for over a million pounds. So this, this couple with, with very limited means... Um, uh, I suppose technically millionaires. Now, it doesn't make sense to, um, rather it does make sense to spend a modest amount of money getting a will to protect an, a million pound asset. It, it's just a sensible thing to do. Why would you want to risk a million pound asset in going, going to yeah. the wrong place or not going to the people you want? Because again, another benefit of seeing uh, an expert uh, is that you get um, just inheritance tax information so you yeah. might think we mentioned earlier that um, um, gifting to your spouse or civil partner um, is tax-free now you might not know that so you might think oh, I'm going to leave some to X Y and Z um, and then you, you actually your whole estate is reduced because you're having to pay tax or um, there's so many uh, benefits but it's really about um, uh, what are you protecting so if I've got um, uh, a mobile phone which is second hand it's only worth 50 pounds I'm never going to think about insuring it because you know the policy will probably cost more than that and it's just not no value in it no. but if I get the latest iPhone for I don't know what they go for you get the flips for 2,000 pounds don't you these <laughs> foldable phones no so um, <laughs> you think well, if that were to drop out of my pocket you know mm. that's 
you, you might be more inclined to then get insurance for it. So in the same way, if you've got a million pound house, it doesn't seem sensible to me to um, try to have a go at home in circumstances where you don't have the relevant knowledge or experience because, I mean, Trudy sees them every day, don't you? We, mm. it, it's, it's sad when we, when we see an estate where someone's had a go at making the will themselves and it's either not valid or it doesn't say what the person thought it said or, or thought it meant. Um, I mean, I dealt with an estate a couple of years ago where uh, there wasn't a valid will in place and instead of the deceased's immediate family inheriting, and his estate was worth, uh, I think, between seven and eight hundred thousand pounds from memory, it ended up, because the will wasn't valid, or there wasn't a valid will rather, we had to follow the default rules, the intestacy rules that Trudy mentioned earlier, and the estate ended up being divided between 72 different people uh, because there wasn't a valid will in place. And instead of you know maybe two or three people getting a life-changing sum of money, we ended up having 72 people. Some of them got as little as £200. Um, which, obviously, that's not... You know, no problem, I would love to have £200, I'm sure we all would, but <laughs> it's not what the deceased wanted or intended. No. And, and um, um, yeah, so it's not... Um, and you can imagine the cost of trying to trace 72 people, scattered all over the world, might I add. Um, so, if you'd had a will, it would have been a very straightforward estate, not costing very much money to deal with. Instead, um, we had to scour the globe, um, family members in America, in Australia, and throughout Europe, um, spending a small fortune um, just to try and give a few people £200 in the end. So, yeah, the, I think Trudy and I would both agree that it's number one priority is always have a will, mm -hmm. but very close behind that is go to an expert. And you have the security of, of solicitors as well. So yeah, it's not only yeah. just the knowledge, it's the security. So if, heaven forbid, something did go wrong with with yeah. the will, at least with, you know, with us, we've got insurance, we've got the security, we've got everything, we've got expert advice as well. So, yeah. you know, further advice can come from that. So, you know, it's always best That's for an peace excellent of point, mind. really, because I don't know if you remember, but there was a case a few years ago where um, when the banks were doing wills, Barclays prepared a will for one of their clients mm. and um, the, the daughter thought she was inheriting the house, but because Barclays aren't lawyers or will writers, they made a mistake and they didn't um, um, deal with, sever the tenancy of the property. That basically just means where they, uh, it's a small um, form that they have to complete, um, which, um, means that the, the the father's share of the house was protected. So it was a father who passed away, and so he wanted to protect his share of the house to pass to his daughter. The bank didn't do this, so uh, the house ended up passing to somebody else um, when the father died. Um, and that means the daughter didn't get the house, even though it's written in the will. So dad yeah. wrote in his will, I want my house to go to my daughter. Yeah. But because of a mistake made by the bank, the, how, the daughter did not get the house. Now, she went to the financial ombudsman to complain. Yeah. The financial ombudsman said, absolutely, um, madam, you are absolutely right. The bank has made a mistake. We've seen the, we've seen the will. We've seen the instructions. We've seen the notes from the bank. It, there is no contest that the dad wanted to leave his house to, the, to his daughter and the bank made a mistake. But do you know what happened? 
Uh, the bank said, no, we object to your involvement, financial ombudsman. Will writing is not a regulated activity. Only financial um, um, services are regulated. And so you can only make decisions against us which involve financial products. Do you know what the financial ombudsman said? <laughs> yes, I'm afraid you're right, bank. Um, because you are a bank, we can only tell you off if you do things wrong about money. The fact that you happened to sell a will and you did it wrong, we've got no jurisdiction, so the bank effectively got away with it because it's not, uh, unfortunately, will writing, I say unfortunately, there are reasons for it, but will writing isn't regulated. That means that anybody could do it, so uh, you, Rob, might have no knowledge or expertise <laughs> no. in will writing, but tomorrow you could start your own will writing business, or you could just sell it to your friends and family, uh, and if you got it wrong, there would be no comeback on you. They would just um, be at a loss. Whereas if you go to a solicitor, because we, we actually are regulated, so everything that we do is regulated, so that means that actually our wills are also regulated. So if, God forbid, there was a mistake or a problem, um, in the case that I mentioned earlier concerning Barclays Bank, the daughter wouldn't be out of pocket because we would have insurance or we'd have a regulatory body to put things right for the daughter. So... Yeah, that was a great point that you made, mm. Trudy. Great, thank you both. How do I find out then if someone had a will? Yeah, so this, this crops up quite a lot, actually. Yeah. Um, believe it or not, there is not really a, a will register as such to register a will. So when people make wills, they don't register it with the court or anything like that, like they do with the last in powers of attorney. Last in powers of attorney have to be registered with the Office of the Public Guardian. But when you prepare a will, it doesn't have to be, you know, put on a central register anywhere, which... No, because remember, as you said before, you can make a will at home, yeah. just put it under your mattress. Absolutely. No one would ever know. No so know. there's no mandatory database. So I suppose the short answer is you don't always know if someone had a will. Absolutely, no. Um, but with our wills, again, because we're solicitors, we do everything in writing. So when um, someone prepares a will with us, we will always, if they store the will with us, we will always send them a copy of the will. And what we also do is we give them a little will card which has their name on it and it just states that they have a will made with Marlies and Peak. It's the same size and thickness as a credit card and they can keep it in with their wallet. So then that's another way that people can track someone, especially if they've been found yeah, sometimes. That happens, definitely or... true. I mean, what I've seen because I deal with a lot of the probate side and people say, look, I found, because, and it, it, it sounds silly, but those little things like having merchandise. So if I'm um, going into the house of one of my loved ones and I didn't know they had a will, but I suddenly see a pen from Mullison Peak, I think, oh, they're solicitors. Maybe I should ask them. We well, have done fridge magnets. Fridge magnets. Exactly. <laughs> no, I, well, I've had people saying, oh, I saw your fridge magnets. And bus pass holders. Yeah, and so yeah. Or I saw exactly your, <laughs> your umbrella or whatever it might be. So I just thought I'd ask you. Yeah. And we're like, oh, actually, it's a good job that you did because... Yes, we do. Have, yeah. um, but with my clients as well, I always say to them, when I give you the, you know, the copy of your will, keep it somewhere safe. Tell your executors that you've made a will. You don't have to tell them what's in it, but just notify your executors and yeah. say, I've done a will. You are executors. This is where my original will is. Um, and notify them that way. Or just keep the document somewhere where you always keep your other important documents. Um, and then if someone does go through your personal belongings, then at least it will be easier to find it that way. And then with our wills, it's got our names and addresses on it as well. So, you know, if they do find it, then they can always contact us Excellent. to try and find it. Thank you both for that. Does my will become invalid then if my circumstances change? Oh, good question. 
the only time your will be invalid of a circumstance is if you prepare a will and then after you got married but the will that you made previously didn't state that your intention was to marry and then you marry thereafter your will will become invalid so it's and as not as if many it people know that yeah yeah it's like you, all that hard work is for nothing yeah. because you're your will is yeah. yeah but again not many people know that so when you marry new laws come in um especially for husband and wife so different rules come in so therefore your will will automatically be revoked on the day of marriage if you haven't specified in your previous will of expectation of marriage it does include civil partnerships too so and civil partnerships yeah, mar- of yeah. yeah also though if you're divorced your will doesn't become invalid but it no. does affect um <clears throat> Um, for example, if I named my um, wife as my executor, would she still be able to act as executor if we were subsequently to divorce? Yeah, a divorce, divorce okay. doesn't make any difference. So you so, can still um, act. Marriage as affects the will, but divorce doesn't. Yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And, and with a beneficiary as well. So if you left everything to your um, partner at the time, um, and then you had expectation of marriage and then you then that would become valid so then you married thereafter so expectation of marriage that was absolutely fine and then if you did divorce thereafter and don't change your will and then died your ex-husband ex-wife can still inherit from your estate great thank you last question today then what is a trust Oh, I see you saved the most difficult one till last. <laughs> Can't um, make it too well, easy, can we? This will go on for a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah, how much, how much time do you have? Um, I, I joke, but uh, trusts uh, are actually quite complicated. Uh, I'll do my best to simplify it. So, um, what's a good way to explain it? So, in, in England and Wales, the laws that we have, every item has to have an owner. So, whatever it might be, whether it's the car on the road, whether it's your house, whether it's money, whether it's phones, every item that exists in this country has to have an owner. I'll take what's normally the most valuable asset is a house or land. So um, somebody's got to own it. If we can't find anybody who owns it, then it then it belongs to King Charles, it belongs to the Crown. So there's always somebody. And if we can't find anybody, there's always a default and that would be the Crown. So. Um, so now that we understand that everything has to have an owner, we can then look at the next stage, which is, well, who can be an owner? Um, the most obvious one uh, is people, human beings. So um, you and I, Trudy, we can own, uh, for example, a house or land. Uh, a company is another example that we, w- we might all be familiar with as a legal entity which can own something. So that's a person can own something, a company can own something. There are a few others, but another one of those examples is a trust. So a trust is another type of legal entity that can own something. And so it is a type of structure, just in the same way that a company is a type of structure which can own things. And that means that in the same way that I can pay, if I've got a, uh, a gas bill with British Gas, British Gas is a company, I'm allowed to pay the company. That money then belongs to British Gas, and then they use the money to, you know, hopefully invest in infrastructure, pay their staff, all the usual things that companies do. Likewise, I can transfer transfer money to a trust, 
And as soon as I do that, the trust then owns the money. So it's a, um, a vehicle for owning things and it can be used then, the trust can be used um, to help with financial planning and um, potentially tax saving uh, ways. So the, the name trust actually comes from the word, the, the word that we all understand, the plain English meaning of the word trust. It so, just doesn't mean a specific thing. Yes, it can be trust a situation, can be can't it? So many different things. You can have yeah. so many different trusts for different things, like you said, property. Yeah, it could yeah. be a disabled child. It could be someone in your will that you they you know, they can't look after their the money themselves through ill health or anything like that. Well something so that, that a lot of people can relate to might be if you've got children and and I'm just using my own personal example, so um, when my first son was born, um, you can imagine as our first child, we had lots of gifts from family members and friends, and a lot of that was was cash. Mm. Now, what did I do? As most parents said, okay, I want to open up a separate bank account for my child, so mm. I do that. What is that? That is a trust account. Yeah. So, because when let's just say my my parents, so the grandparents have given me some money, and they trust me to use that money for my son. They would be heartbroken if they found out that I went, took the money and I used it all on gambling in the casino. Because they said, well, that's not why we gave you the money, Manzurul. We gave you the money for your son. So we are trusting you to use it for, the, for your son. So that, that the word trust is important there because that's what the relationship is. Now, I create a bank account for my son and that's, um, that is now a trust account because I am trusted to use that money for my son. So in the same way, so if you understand what the general plain English meaning of trust is, it helps you to understand what a legal trust is because it is based on the same principle, which is where the word comes from. So when I open an account for my son, it is called a trust account because although I've got access to it, I'm trusted to have access, but I'm also trusted to use it for my son. So I can withdraw it anytime I want. And let's just say I need to buy some nappies for him or a pram or pushchair or car seat. Goodness knows they're expensive. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm allowed to because I have been trusted with that. And so if I were to break that trust, then I could be held to account potentially. But generally speaking, I'm left alone without too many checks or balances. Uh, and I'm trusted to look after that money for my son. So in a, in a different context, um, if I was to set up a trust... For, uh, for example, we, we're talking about wills now, aren't mm -hmm. we? So if I prepared a, a will and I decided, right, I want um, to pass my um, house to my children, but I'm trusting my wife to look after it first whilst she is alive. She can live there for as long as she wants, um, rent free. The children can't take the house until she has passed away. Uh, and I'm trusting the children to allow my wife to live there uh, and then they can take the house. So I can create a trust there, which we call a lifetime interest trust. Don't yeah, or a trust of residence. Um, it's called both, really. Um, and whilst we're talking about that, actually, um, this is a good way to secure half the value of the property as well, especially if, you know, one spouse had to go into a care home. So I know we were talking about you know, try and save That's a good money everyday and example, things like that please. and trying to secure our assets. So you could prepare a trusted residence in your will to give 
each for spouses or partners who own a property together to live in the property so their spouse can live in the property for the remainder of their lifetime i.e keeping up the property in good repair etc um and then once one spouse has died that remaining spouse lives in the property for the remainder of a lifetime however the spouse that has died in their will they are holding that that half of the property for maybe their children so the other spouse is allowed to live in the property for the remainder of their lifetime and then when that spouse should predecease then the property will be sold 50% will possibly go with the first deceased so they might have children of their own and then the second deceased they might have children of their own so it might be a blended family situation where they've got their own respective children and they want to give their half the property to their own respective children um, and also that's not uncommon that's that's becoming more and more common yeah, of late as well yeah. um, and also it does safeguard half the value of the property for care home purposes so you know you might have a situation where spouses are living together one spouse is caring for the other spouse and the spouse that's caring they might die first and then you've got the other spouse that's left in the home not able to look after themselves so therefore it might be a situation where that spouse has to go into a care home now what we don't want to do is you know give everything to the other spouse um, so that the whole of the property is being used up for care fees and then nothing's potentially left for the children. So we use the trust of residents to try and secure half the value of the property so that at least the children will get possibly at least half. So that's another good example of a trust. Yeah, so I think what's a, a nice simple way to summarise and conclude? I guess a trust is a, a mechanism that can be used to hold and protect assets and wealth. Is that a good summary? Yeah, that's pretty much it, yeah. Great, well thank you both for taking part in today's podcast episode on wheels. As always, if you found this podcast episode helpful, more videos are available on our website.